Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode 36 of the Fantasy Law Guy podcast. I'm Nick Garisco at Fantasy Law Guy on Instagram. Today's show, Thursday Night Football recap, week three by lows, and preview of Sunday Night Football, Monday Night Football for week three. Hakeem dropped the ball! Oh, Hakeem dropped the ball! He did what? Playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. Who the hell is Mel Kiper? They are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. Playoffs? <laughs> I just hope we can win a game. It's my quarterback. What the hell's going on out here? I cannot play with him. Cannot win with him. Cannot coach with him. Can't do it. Can't wait. You like that? You like that? Just keep a trick the ball down the field, boy. I saw, son. I saw. Hello? You play to win the game. Hardly. Sends the Saints to the Super Bowl. The Miami Dolphins soundly defeated the Jacksonville Jaguars 31-13 in a thrilling Thursday night football game. Because like I said on my Instagram story, when you're the NFL and you have the opportunity to pit an epic quarterback battle between Gardner Minshew and Ryan Fitzpatrick on two tanking teams, and you can showcase that product on national television for the entire world to see, I mean, you just you just got to do it. So really great job by the schedule makers there. And next week on Thursday Night Football, we have the Jets and the Broncos. We get that luxury there. So really exciting stuff. Where are we at in society today? But credit where credit is due, Ryan Fitzmagic did make an appearance last night. He was very impressive. He completed 18 of 20 passes. That's 90%. 160 passing yards and 38 rushing yards. So the yardage wasn't great. But three total touchdowns and zero turnovers. That's the key there. And the Jags truly have a Swiss cheese defense. Though I do want to call out linebacker Miles Jack, number 44 for the Jacksonville Jaguars. He is having a hell of a season in my opinion. But that's about it for the lowly Jacksonville Jaguars defense. He looked like the only one who was really trying and playing well yesterday. But that was just from me watching TV. And I stayed up to watch this entire game because I just have no life whatsoever. But I did mention yesterday's preview pod that everyone was going to be on Gardner Minshew because he was hot and all the experts and the fans were going to be on playing him. But I mentioned that I just wasn't quite there in terms of trusting him yet. I didn't list him as a top 12 quarterback. He was more as quarterback 13, 14 for me. So I didn't necessarily see him as an auto start in this game like a lot of experts did because of the nice matchup. And I actually mentioned there's a 50-50 chance that Ryan Fitzpatrick would outproduce Gardner Minshew in this game. And a lot of experts or fans wouldn't want to hear that, the Minshew supporters out there. And Fitzmagic did just that. I mean, he came out. He did most of his damage in the first half. He was driving Miami up and down the field with ease. And he was accurate. He was spreading the ball around. He looked good. And in the second half, he just handed the ball off. But he did have a designed quarterback draw near the goal line for his third touchdown of the day. And Devontae Parker, he looked like the wide receiver number one for this team in this game. He's getting healthier and healthier. I still don't think he's 100% quite yet. But he gets 10 days to rest after this Thursday night game. And he was just abusing the Jaguars' defensive backs. Five targets, five catches, 69 receiving yards. No scores, but that stat line just indicates that that efficiency indicates that he would have had a bigger game if not for game flow. And I mentioned yesterday that I wouldn't be starting Devontae Parker or Preston Williams in this game, but I think Parker has earned flex consideration to be in starting lineups next week. Preston Williams, however, two targets, two catches, seven yards, but he did have a touchdown, a three-yard touchdown, nice route running. I, I just don't think we're quite there with him yet. But he probably is worth a stash in 12-team formats. Tight end Mike Jasicki, he did find pay dirt. A sweet 15-yard touchdown. It was, it was, over, it was an overhead grab. He high-pointed the ball. And Jasicki is just so athletic that he made a really tough catch look just so routine on that play. He was just, he's just a really smooth athlete. And he also drew defensive pass interference in the end zone. But other than the touchdown... Just very slow, even poor game. Three targets, one catch, and that catch was the 15-yard touchdown. He just wasn't used much after that, and mainly he just wasn't needed due to game flow. So the only Miami touchdown that wasn't Ryan Fitzpatrick was a one-yard plunge by Jordan Howard yet again. Third straight week that this has happened. 
where he's had a short goal line touchdown in the game. And I said he's literally, before the game, that he's literally just the goal line and short yardage back. And that's exactly what we saw. Howard has 16 carries on the season for 12 yards. And that is not, you know, a misstating by me. He has three touchdowns, one touchdown in each game. They all are of the goal line variety. And we know his role, right? We know what he is. And that's just not enough to be on fantasy rosters in 12-team formats. Same for Matt Breida. I mentioned that as well, who rushed three times for four yards in this game. He had one deep target that was he was interfered with on that play. I thought it was a questionable call. But the story of the night for Miami fantasy purposes was the usage of Miles Gaskin. And I went on a long rant about how it's actually good when players on your bench play well. And, and Gaskin was the example of that. You want to root for players on your bench. And Gaskin was just the guy in hypothetical scenario where I felt like he could have a really good game tonight, like he could establish himself as the lead back. You know, I mentioned that, and, and he did. He didn't have a great fantasy game, actually. But that is something we should have been rooting for if we have Miles Gaskin on a bench. I know I do in two teams. But he was used as the bell cow for Miami. 22 rushes, 66 yards, 5 catches, 29 yards, no scores. But I thought Gaskin was actually better than the stats indicate. He had a much more efficient first half when it wasn't clear he was getting the ball. But in the second half, it was just kind of clock-killing mode. The Dolphins were up by multiple scores, and the Jags knew that Gaskin was getting the ball. And there were two plays where he was actually dropped for a four- or five-yard loss behind the line of scrimmage, like immediately after getting the ball, just poor blocking. There's nothing you could really do about that, and it kind of cripples his efficiency, his yards per carry. But I think he's going to stick as the workhorse. I think he's better than Matt Breida. I think in this offense— like in this spread offense that Miami's kind of running a lot with Chan Gailey, he is better than Jordan Howard at this stage and for this offense. So you should be thrilled if you grabbed Miles Gaskin for cheap and free agency because you just landed yourself a starting running back with an every down roll. Well, I shouldn't say every down. It's, it's, it's every down except for goal line touchdowns, apparently, uh, because that's Jordan Howard's one role that he has. And his upside is capped. Gaskins is. His upside is captive. He's not going to be getting the goal line scores. And just seeing as Miami's just not a great football team to start with, they showed last night, Miami's just not having a surplus of opportunities in the red zone or near the goal line. So when Gaskins scores a touchdown, it needs to be from further out. So that does cap his upside. But nonetheless, Gaskin definitely a, he's trending up towards a running back two at this point, just solely based on his usage. I'm going to read a couple stats here. This is These are tweets. This one, first one's from Jared Smola of DraftSharks.com. It is the Miami Dolphins Week 3 running back usage. Miles Gaskin, 75% of the snaps, 22 carries, 5 targets. Matt Breda, 18% of the snaps, 3 carries, 1 target. And Jordan Howard, 7% of the snaps, 3 carries, 0 targets. And then this next tweet is from John Daigle of RotoWorld.com. Miles Gaskin's opportunity clearly increasing through 3 games. His snaps from weeks one through three have gone from 63% to 65% to 75%. His running back touches from weeks one through three has gone from 46% to 50% of the running back touches to 82% of the running back touches last night. And then his target share has gone up from 13.3% of the targets in the passing game to 15.2% to 25%, which is an insane rate for a running back. So yeah, great stuff by John Daigle and Jared Smola there. Some very informative tweets and kind of get a feel for Miles Gaskin's usage is increasing and therefore he's going to be a more valuable fantasy contributor. Okay, moving on to the Jacksonville Jaguars side of things. In the story of the night for the Jaguars, the one lone bright spot, James Robinson. Robinson looked like a legitimate star in this game. And I'm not exaggerating. He was the only source of ball movement, really, for the Jags on a night that they struggled. It was negative game script. I mean, the Jags were trailing by multiple scores, like all night. And James Robinson still put up a 30-point PPR day. And yesterday I said that James Robinson should be in starting lineups because I think he'd be good for 100 total yards and a touchdown. Well, he did even better than that. He had about 100 total yards, but he had two touchdowns. 11 carries, 46 yards, two touchdowns on the ground. But then, here's the key, six catches, 83 yards. Extremely efficient in the receiving game. He was breaking tackles, catching passes, scoring touchdowns. He showed a great combination of balance and quickness. Miami defenders just struggled to bring him down 
at the first contact. And Chris Thompson, he was used late in the game with Jacksonville down several touchdowns. And he did draw six targets in this game. It's kind of a receiving back on obvious downs. But he was subbed out when the Jaguars couldn't score from inside the 10-yard line. They, they went down the field and they struggled once they got in the red area. And they took him out. They plugged in James Robinson. And he plunged it in for a short touchdown in the second half of this game. James Robinson was just phenomenal in this game. And I know this was the Dolphins' defense, but the undrafted free agent's talent, it's just clear, clear as day that I think that he's better than Leonard Fournette at this point of their careers. And I think he is the sole reason that they got rid of Leonard Fournette. I would, I wish I would have been on this sooner. I don't have James Robinson on a single team. I'm so just butthurt about this. And his talent was just on full display. And it was just quite surprising to me, honestly. I had seen some of his snaps, some of his highlights in weeks one and two. But just watching him play, I get it was the Miami Dolphins defense. But he looked very comfortable as a pass catcher. He's a workhorse running back. And honestly, he looks he's playing his way into running back one conversation. Not running back one overall, but top 12 running back for sure. Honestly, like every week starter, that means. And he's got the usage there. And he looks like the Jaguars, honestly, their best player on offense, maybe on the team. So great night for James Robinson. You should feel very, very fortunate if you ended up with either Miles Gaskin or James Robinson, but especially James Robinson, because he looks like he's going to be a league winner for fantasy football this season. Moving on to the passing game here, and that was not so pretty. Gardner Minshew. I mentioned already that I just I just didn't really trust him despite the good matchup. You know, I got to give him his props. I think he's a great backup fantasy quarterback because of his situation and because of his kind of gunslinging style and because of his rushing floor. But I wasn't quite there to name him a starter yet. I'm glad I didn't just fully buy in. I still think he's worth an every week start in Superflex leagues. My opinion just really didn't change on him because I expected I didn't expect a total, you know, letdown like this. I mean, he was a disaster. But I, I knew at some point it may be coming, right? We saw it last year where we'd have some spurts of greatness. And then every now and then he'd just have this pitiful game. I remember the Houston game last year we got benched. But Gardner Mitchell, the fact is that he's just not a great NFL quarterback. I would argue that he's not even a good starting NFL quarterback. But his game is conducive to scoring fancy points, which makes him valuable. It also makes him valuable that the Jaguars are consistently trailing. I mean, they, they've been trailing by at least a score in all three of their games. And in the other games, Minshew was able to show his magic and, and kind of come back in those games. In this game, the Dolphins seemed ready for that. And DJ Chark was out, so that didn't help at all. But 275 passing yards for Minshew, zero touchdowns, two turnovers, and one interception, one fumble loss. He did have 22 rushing yards to cancel out one of those turnovers. Let's just say the fumble loss. But just no touchdowns after having six passing touchdowns through two weeks. He just couldn't find the end zone in this game despite the positive or the favorable game script for Gardner Minshew in garbage time, where, which is where he excels. Chris Conley didn't help. He had a few drops. He was terrible in this game. And it also didn't help that he lost his left tackle, Cam Robinson. He was ejected in the third quarter. But Minshew himself just wasn't very good. He threw one or two almost interceptions that weren't picked off. And he also just missed Keelan Cole on a wide I think it was Keelan Cole. I'm pretty sure it was. But he missed Keelan Cole in a wide open, and I mean wide open, touchdown from 30 yards out where the coverage was just totally busted. And Cole was just running free towards the end zone. And Minshew was a little pressured, but he threw it off balance, and he threw it out of balance. Didn't even give his receiver a chance to make a play at the ball. And he looked visibly upset after missing that easy, easy throw. And again, it could have been like a 30-yard touchdown. I would have put him over 300 yards and a score. It would have really salvaged his day. But it was just a, a nightmare night for Minshew. And that was against an easy situation against the Dolphins' pass defense, which has been lit up by Cam Newton and Josh Allen in weeks one and two. So I talked about DJ Chark. being I kind of combined his name there. I said Jark. But DJ Chark... He was out for this game with a chest and back injury. Based on what we or based on what I have read, he is going to be available in week four. I think the Jaguars wanted to give it was the short week, and I think the Jaguars wanted to give him that 10-day or that I guess that two-week rest period before their next Sunday game. 
And the Jaguars face, let's see, Cincinnati in that game. So he should be good to go and plug in the starting lineups there. LaVisca Chenault and Keelan Cole just did not do much in his absence. Uh, Keelan Cole had about 40 yards as the possession receiver. He was like the de facto number one receiver, but just didn't do much. Uh, LaVisca shouldn't, he probably shouldn't be rostered. Cole shouldn't be. LaVisca Chenault probably should be rostered in 12-team leagues, but pretty disappointing night in the great spot opportunity against this bad defense and without DJ Chark. Uh, he was kind of the chalk for experts. Like a lot of experts were really, really high on playing LaVisca Chenault last night, like in your flex or even a wide receiver too, some of them thought. And this seemed like a good spot for him. But Chenault just kind of did what he's done in the first two games. Like his role just really hasn't changed. Six targets, five catches, 33 yards. I mean, his receiving totals in the first three games, 37 yards in week one, 35 yards in week two, and 33 yards in week three. So so in between 33 and 37 yards, all three games. Unfortunately, in this game, he only got one carry, one rushing attempt. That Part of that was because the Jaguars were trailing. The other part is because James Robinson was just so freaking good at running back that there was just no need to even get LaVisca Chenault involved in the running game. But it hurt his fantasy day for sure. He only had one rushing attempt for one yard. And his role has just been consistent through three games, like I've said. But it's just not enough role to trust in fantasy football at this point. I don't think you should drop him because I do think he's going to be unleashed kind of at some point. Maybe not unleashed to be like a league winner, but unleashed to be like a potential number two receiver flex option there. So I definitely think he's worth stashing away on your bench. Again, he's a rookie. He's really young. And he looks talented when he gets the opportunities. Like he kind of flashed when he did get those limited opportunities. He had a great catch over the middle in between like two defenders and then put a move on another defender. It was a nice play. I think the future for LaVisca Chenault is bright, but we're just not quite there yet. Okay, and that'll do it for the Thursday night preview. Again, just can't wait for the Jets and Broncos next Thursday night. Although I will say it's kind of, it's, it's, it's a lot less stressful when you don't have players on Thursday night. You know what I'm saying? Or you're not really going against players. I was lucky enough not to be going against James Robinson in any of my uh, big leagues that I play in. So that's fortunate for me. But it's nice. It's a little nice not having a Thursday night player, not having like high stakes in the Thursday night game, lets you kind of just sit back and wait for Sunday. And next week, that'll probably be the same I don't think I have many Broncos or Jets on my fantasy teams. I know I don't have any Jets, but Broncos, uh, no, I don't think I have any Broncos either. So, yeah, I, I also, will, that will be the case next week as well. Okay, enough about me. Let's get to some buy lows. I wanted to go through some buy lows like once every two weeks or maybe even once a week just real quickly because I think it's valuable for trading purposes, right? Like I don't want to just recap the games and then give the game previews and kind of be monotonous. I also want to help you in season. I know a lot of people are really trade happy. And so I'm going to give some players every now and then, maybe once a week, maybe once every two weeks uh, as possible buy lows. Guys, you should be looking to make moves for and literally just buy them low while they are not producing and get a good value for them. And hopefully the idea is that they will come on stronger later in the season. These are not guys that have just not produced so far. And I think that, you know, they might just have, you know, decent seasons or whatever. These are guys that have started really slow and or are coming off a bad game. And their managers are probably really pissed at them right now. So right now is the time to put in an offer and hope that they can have a strong rest of the season, which I, I think these guys will. So my first buy low here is Allen Robinson. And he has eight catches and 107 yards total through the first two games of the season. But Allen Robinson plays the Atlanta Falcons this week. And they are just a sieve of a pass defense. So if you want Allen Robinson, this is probably your chance to go get him for cheap. So maybe throw out an offer there for Allen Robinson. You know, nothing extreme for any of these guys, honestly. But the drafter of Allen Robinson may be just really disappointed they drafted them so high. I mean, that couldn't be me. I didn't draft Allen Robinson on any teams. But I do think that he's better than what we've seen throughout the first two weeks. So Allen Robinson, a buy low there. Uh, here's a big one for me. Kenyon Drake. Boy, I'm really starting to dislike the Drake. Hate the Drake. And a lot of fantasy managers who drafted Drake in the first or second round may hate the Drake right now. But I do not. I think the Drake had a tough matchup against the Washington football team defensive front last week. And I also think he had a tough matchup before the 49ers were all hurt in week one. So Kenyon Drake, 
two tough matchups to start, but he's being used as the bell cow back, and this is obviously a very, very good Cardinals offense, and I think he's going to get some touchdown regression. Not all the touchdowns can go to Kyler Murray, especially he has, he has three already on the ground, Murray does, and Kenyon Drake's schedule starts to really soften, like right now. Detroit Lions in week three, they just hemorrhaged up fantasy production to Aaron Jones. They made him a week winner last week, like the top fantasy scorer last week. They have the Lions this week, and then at Carolina in week four, and then at New York Jets in week five, Dallas in week six, and then Seattle in week seven. Then they have a bye. Then they have the Miami Dolphins in week nine. So like their next six opponents are just straight cupcake opponents. Like you want Kenyon Drake on your team right now. So I mean, I would be throwing out offers for Kenyon Drake, like no doubt. Like, I would absolutely 100% trade Joe Mixon for Kenyon Drake. But that's kind of a buy low for a buy low, potentially. But even higher than Joe Mixon, maybe like James Conner or Chris Carson or maybe even Dalvin Cook. I mean, I, I maybe even Derrick Henry, honestly. Derrick Henry's had the slow start. Well, he's also a buy low as well. But this just schedule just looks so sweet for Kenyon Drake to where if I had, like, stud receivers as well and I needed a running back, like, I would be – Actively targeting Ken Drake. I said Kenyon, Ken Drake, Kenyon Drake in my leagues. So yeah, very high on him going forward. So this next one here, Cooper Cup. And Cup is like wide receiver 40 right now. He's had a horrific start to the season and hasn't been great. And a lot of that is because Tyler Higby is stealing Cooper Cup's red zone usage. And Cooper Cup, when the Rams started utilizing Tyler Higby last year, late last year in the final five games, Cooper Cup scored in all five of those games. But Higby was used, being used not just in the red zone in those games. He was like the focal point of the offense. But Cup is now getting stolen from, vultured by Tyler Higby, and the Rams are running a lot more, and their defense is not as bad as I expected it to be. But I think Cooper Cup will start producing. I don't think Cup is going to finish where he was drafted. I mean, he was drafted as like a top 18 receiver, but I definitely think he's better than what we've seen so far. So I don't mind throwing out uh, a bone for Cooper Cup. I think he's due for some positive touchdown regression. So this next one is one that I really like, uh, T.Y. Hilton. He's had three crucial drops this year that have cost him fantasy points. It's cost him his confidence. He dropped a 44-yard would-be touchdown last week, which would have changed the narrative on T.Y. Hilton, but the Colts just lost Paris Campbell indefinitely. So if you have a manager out there who's just pissed off at T.Y. Hilton, hasn't done anything this year with Phillip Rivers, and the Colts look like they're going to be a run-first offense with Jonathan Taylor, I would go put out some feelers for T.Y. Hilton. You could probably get him for just a middle-of-the-line player, maybe not even a starter, honestly, and T.Y. Hilton could end up being an every-week flex option for you. So I like T.Y. Hilton to kind of bounce back a little uh, soon. Uh, Noah Fant and Jerry Judy, I mentioned them in buy low last week, but Fant has got off to a hot start, so he's not really a buy low. Uh, Judge Judy has not gotten off to a hot start, but a lot of people, the reason I'm listing them as buy low is because a lot of people are not going to be on these guys because of their quarterback situation. Like Drew Locke, Hurt, missing two to four weeks probably. Jeff Driscoll is named the starter. They also signed Blake Bortles, so a lot of people don't like that. But keep in mind that Cortland Sutton is out for the season. And I know KJ Hamler's coming back, but there's a lot fewer targets to go around with with Cortland Sutton out. So Noah Fant and Judge Judy are going to be targeted in this offense. They're going to be more prominent players, regardless of the quarterback situation. And I think Jeff Driscoll, you know, not a bad quarterback for fantasy production, right? Like we saw Jeff Driscoll be able to support Kenny Galladay in a decent way last year. So, you know, we could see Noah Fant. We saw him support Noah Fant last week. So we could see Noah Fant and Judge Judy used a lot more now that Quillen Sutton is out. I would also be going pick up KJ Hamler. I mentioned that in my last episode, I had KJ Hamler on a couple teams. I put like $1 bids for him, but he's a nice little flyer. He's like a deep threat like Deshaun Jackson, and he's a nice little flyer, especially for best ball leagues. But Hamler is somebody that I would want at the end of my bench just in case that he does break out. Okay, so next target here, Evan Ingram. A nice buy-low target. No Saquon Barkley, no Sterling Shepard for the next few weeks. Evan Ingram has been pretty piss poor, but he's gotten the targets in the first two weeks, and that's really what buying low is all about. Like You want guys who are going to have the opportunity, be it for injury or be it they have had the opportunity so far and they just haven't produced, and you have managers who are just looking at the fantasy, the bottom line, like the fantasy production, like the, the raw stats, 
or they're all just fantasy points, right? And Evan Ingram is a guy who is getting the looks but hasn't done much with them yet. But he's going to get even more looks with no Saquon, no Sterling Shepard, at least for the next few weeks for Shepard. So Evan Ingram, definitely a guy that I am interested in buying low. At this point, I think that the roster manager of Edmund Ingram probably is just willing to bench him like for another tight end. So you can probably get him for cheap. Uh, Matt Stafford, this is another big one. Like I'd, I'd probably rank him. These are just in no order specifically. I was just going through the roster looking at him. But if I had to put them, rank them like top you know, five of which ones I really would want to buy low, Stafford would definitely be in the top five along with like Kenyon Drake, you know, maybe T.Y. Hilton. I'll get to some others in a second. But Matt Stafford, Kenny Galladay is likely coming back, which is great. So Stafford will be chilling at the Galladay Inn, and his schedule opens up big time like Kenyon Drake. So not only is the supporting cast strong, like you have Marvin Jones, you have Kenny Galladay, you have TJ Hawkinson, you have Danny Amendola in the slot, you have DeAndre Swift out of the backfield. Like This is a great supporting cast for Stafford. That's one of the reasons that experts were so high on Matt Stafford this year. That's one of the reasons you wanted to draft him as like quarterback 12, I think it was his ADP. But his schedule is also opening up big time. The Lions have had to play Green Bay in Chicago in the first two weeks, but this week they get the Arizona Cardinals, and the next week they do get the Saints. But their next opponents after that, there's a bye week mixed in there, but after that, there's Jacksonville Jaguars, Atlanta Falcons, Indianapolis Colts, Minnesota Vikings, and then they have Carolina later, they have Houston later, and they have Minnesota again later. I mean, this is... Stafford is going to have really good fantasy days. So he's a, he's another buy-low candidate. I think a lot of people in single quarterback leagues are thinking about cutting Matt Stafford. So you could probably get him for very cheap. Uh, at the very minimum, they're thinking about benching him. So I would try to get Stafford now. You know, if he has a great week against Arizona this week and a very exploitable matchup, you, that buy-low opportunities, that window is going to be shut. Antonio Gibson here, I mentioned him on last week's podcast along with Deontay Johnson, those were my two major bylaws. I think I had David Montgomery in there as well. Uh, I'll still hold strong on all those guys, although the opportunity closed somewhat because they all had pretty good games in week two. But Antonio Gibson, I think his role is just going to increase more and more, more. We saw it in week one going into week two where his role increased big time. This week he gets the Cleveland Browns, so a pretty tasty matchup there for Gibson. He could be a potential league winner down the stretch. I think Antonio Gibson, yeah, he's a rookie. Yeah, he's raw out of Memphis. But he could have like a Miles Sanders-like finish where Sanders didn't really do much in the first you know, eight games of last season. But he caught a break and he finished as a top 10 running back in the final eight games and points per game. We could see that with Antonio Gibson. So I like the idea of, of putting out feelers for Antonio Gibson. Another Washington football team player, Logan Thomas. I think Logan Thomas, really nice sleeper this week. The Browns just cannot stop tight ends. And you want to be targeting these guys before they have big games. Logan Thomas, he's getting the targets. He's athletic, and he's getting the opportunity. He just hasn't produced good numbers yet, but I think he will. And it could happen as early as this week. So if you want the depth at tight end, I would take a flyer on Logan Thomas. And Drew Sample, another PPR deep sleeper there, CJ Uzama out for the season. I definitely should have mentioned him in my waiver wire podcast, but he just slipped through the cracks there. I think Drew Sample probably worth being rostered on 12-team formats. And if somebody added Drew Sample, then you may be able to just pick him up. If you're desperate at tight end, you may be able to just throw an offer their way. They might have just picked him up just for the heck of it. But it looks like Joe Burrow really loves targeting his tight ends. And some guys on the watch list here that I'm not putting in buy low yet, but big names that I'm kind of monitoring in case I do want to have them as buy low. Joe Mixon, I think you can probably wait another week because the Eagles are a really tough run defense. And if Mixon, you know, right now he's been sorry. Like he's had two bad games in a row. People are not happy with Mixon. But if he does a third one in a row, people are really going to start be freaking out about Joe Mixon. And yeah. Joe Mixon's definitely underwhelmed and disappointed from what I thought he was going to be. No doubt about that. And I'm not saying he couldn't get, he can get to that top eight running back status like I had him. But I do think he'll be better than he's been. And maybe you can even wait a week if he has another bad week against the Eagles. You can put out, you know, a pretty low offer for Joe Mixon. And I think eventually this Bengals offense is going to get better. Joe Burrow is only going to get better. And Mixon has already been a stronger finisher than he is a starter. He's always been a slow starter. He's like Derrick Henry in that respect. Uh, David Johnson is another one. David Johnson looked really healthy in week one when we saw him there, but he was game scripted out of that game because the Chiefs were just 
blowing out the Texans. And in week two, same situation with the Ravens. I mean, the Ravens were just a brutal matchup. So David Johnson couldn't get anything going. It wasn't his fault. You know, the Texans just couldn't move the ball against the Ravens. And that's just obviously one of the worst matchups you can have. And this week, David Johnson gets the Pittsburgh Steelers. So opening the season with the three best teams in the AFC, the Texans have the Chiefs, the Ravens, and the Steelers. And two of those are just nightmare matchups, like the worst matchups you can possibly have for a running back in the Ravens and the Steelers. And that's what David Johnson's been blessed with, I guess, ironically, or, you know, I'm being sarcastic here. But David Johnson, his schedule opens up definitely. He doesn't have to play. He's not in the division with Baltimore and Pittsburgh. He doesn't have to play these guys again. Uh, His schedule in week four, he has Minnesota. Week five, Jacksonville. Week six, Tennessee. And then he has Green Bay. Then he has a bye. But then he has Jacksonville, Cleveland after that. I mean, things are going to open up for David Johnson. I think he's going to end up being a good pick in fantasy football. So if you can buy low after a brutal showing against Pittsburgh this week, where a lot of people won't even be starting him, and he might put up a dud, that would be, I think, smart strategy. And then another one, the last one is Clyde Edwards-Elair, the Fresh Prince. He had a slow game last week against the Chargers. And this week, you know, you don't want to buy Edwards-Elair right now because I still think people are really high on Edwards-Elair. But if he has a slow game against Baltimore, that'll be two slow performances in a row. And fantasy managers might be preferring other backs over Edwards-Elair. They might see him as more of a top 12 running back every week as opposed to a top six running back. So maybe you can put out like an offer like Derrick Henry or something like that for Edwards Elaire. I mean, we'll see. But just keep in mind that he plays Baltimore this week, so you can likely wait another week and just see if the Edwards Elaire owner, or excuse me, manager, wants to make that move. I've already seen in two leagues that the Edwards Elaire manager has been trying to trade for Christian McCaffrey, which I just think is crazy. I mean, I would want to keep... The fresh prints there. But yeah, okay, those are my buy lows for the week. Hope you enjoyed it. All right, so I'm going to get to two of the matchups this week. I've noticed that my matchup preview segments and my matchup recap segments are just way too long. I mean, they're like an hour and a half long. Ain't nobody got time for all that. So I'm going to try to decrease that time there, make the episodes a little shorter by kind of balancing out all of the matchups here. And so on Fridays, I'm going to probably start putting the Sunday night football and the Monday night football matchups on my Friday show. That way, my weekend show will just be previewing the matchups. And I do get a lot of questions like, hey, you know, I don't have time to listen to the podcast during the weekend. Like, why don't you do all your matchups on Friday? And the answer to that is because there's just so many injuries that come out on Fridays and Saturdays. And it's not just injuries to fantasy players, like relevant fantasy players. You may not realize this, but a lot of offensive line injuries come out too. And defensive player injuries, like cornerbacks and stuff like that. And these players to me are relevant when I am kind of writing my matchup notes, like relevant for fantasy players' outlooks. And missing Friday practice is a huge indicator of whether a player is going to play on Sunday. So I at least like to wait until the Friday practices. And by the time that that ends, it's already Friday evening. And I have a life, believe it or not, but you also mainly have a life, like more than me, and you don't have time to listen on a Friday night. So to me, it's just better to be doing these matchups mostly on Saturday, but I will start doing uh, Sunday and Monday night football matchups on Friday so you can get a feel for that. And I'll try to mitigate the circumstances by saying, giving you kind of a either way, because I have time to do that when I'm only doing two matchups on Friday, I have time to say, okay, if Devontae Adams doesn't play, then this. And if he does play, then this. That kind of stuff. And we have that with Michael Thomas and Devontae Adams in this game. So let me start with the Sunday Night Football game. And that is the 2-0 Packers travel south to face the New Orleans Saints, who are coming off a surprisingly poor showing Monday Night Football loss to the Raiders, where Drew Brees was very inaccurate. And the defense of New Orleans just could not stop Derek Carr, Darren Waller. And Vegas is getting, not the Vegas Raiders, but Vegas casinos are giving the Saints a lot of respect, in my opinion, by favoring them by three in this game with a very lofty point total. And I get that the Saints are much tougher in the Dome. I get that they're a veteran team, and they'll probably come back from this. But this, to me, looks like a 50-50 toss-up game you know, at best for the Saints, and the fact that the Saints are favored by three, I think is pretty curious. But, you know, 
They want to give respect to the Saints, then that's fine. Drew Brees, I think he's more of a backup fantasy quarterback now. The Saints offense stylistically is more predicated on short area passing. You know, whether it's by design or whether it's because Drew Brees' arm strength has declined or it's a combination of both, probably so, the Saints just aren't pushing the ball downfield. That's the bottom line for fantasy football, especially without star receiver Michael Thomas, who I don't expect to suit up on Monday Night Football. And Brees just relies on yards after the catch, mostly from dump-offs to Alvin Kamara and quick hitters to Jared Cook, you know, Emmanuel Sanders, maybe Traquan Smith in there. Traquan Smith was the only favorite downfield target. And even what projects to be a high-scoring affair, Drew Brees is nothing more than a quarterback two in fantasy until he proves otherwise. I would not be starting him in this in this game in single quarterback leagues, assuming you have a better option, that is. But yeah, he's probably still an every week start in Superflex, given the history there, given the fact that you don't want to just give up on Drew Brees after one, maybe even two games. Although I will say this, that a lot of Saints fans are just being really blindly optimistic and saying like, oh, you know, it's just one game. Like that Raiders game was a fluke, you know. Well, I don't know if you need to watch that Tampa Bay game again, but Drew Brees did not look very sharp against Tampa Bay in week one. And this isn't a just this season thing. I would think it's already alarming enough the fact that when Drew Brees in past seasons, we've seen his arm decline, like it gets tired over the course of the year. And like he's finishing more slowly. He's not pushing the ball downfield late in the season because his arm is tired or just worn out or his arm strength has declined over the course of the season of throwing a lot of passes. And we've seen that the last two years, in my opinion. But I would be alarmed enough if it was already starting in week one of this year. But apparently that's not enough for Saints fans. Like they don't believe that Drew Brees potentially could be cooked. And I'll I'll just remind you though, that this isn't just one game. This isn't just maybe even two games. Think about how that Minnesota playoff loss looked. I mean, that was just a brutal display for Drew Brees. I mean, it was one of his worst games that I've ever seen him play. So this isn't just one game. This is three games dating back to last year. It's his last three games. So this is starting to be a trend here where Drew Brees is looking like a below-average real-life quarterback. He's obviously still cerebral. not saying the Saints can't win a Super Bowl, but I do think that He's going to have to step up his game. I think the team's going to have to step up their game. And I think that right now, for fantasy football, Drew Brees is nothing more than a backup quarterback. Still worth it to be rostered, but I would feel hesitant even starting him this week, even against the Packers in a high-scoring projected matchup. So I think I'm a little more bearish on Drew Brees than a lot of, especially a lot of Saints fans are. Uh, But I feel more comfortable starting Jared Cook at tight end as opposed to Traquan Smith and Manuel Sanders at wide receiver. Sanders just hasn't done much in his first two games as a Saint. He had a drop or two last week. Traquan Smith had a great game last week, 86 receiving yards. It's like the second time we've kind of seen him blown up. He had that game against Philly a couple years ago where he just really like took over in that game. But last week was a pretty promising sign for Traquan Smith. I'm not quite there yet on using him. But there is the situation that exists where if you have Michael Thomas on your team, and maybe you're holding out hope that he's going to play. I wouldn't risk it if I were you. I'd just play my next best guy, regardless of who it is. But if you're holding Michael Thomas and maybe you have Traquan Smith or Sanders on your roster, there's a situation where you can try to take this risk that Thomas will play, um, which, again, I think is risky even if he does play. I probably wouldn't even want to be using him. He probably might be a decoy. But either way, you can use Traquan Smith and plug him in if Thomas is ruled inactive near game time. And that's, you know, not the worst thing in the world. Same for Emmanuel Sanders, although I will say that I think if I had to play a Saints receiver this week, it probably would be Sanders over Smith. I think that they're kind of just kind of rotate there. I think he's going to have his best game to date in New Orleans, which isn't saying much, but this is just a hunch. You know, I'm not starting Sanders either way or Traquan. And I think both should be reserved for deep leagues or in that scenario where you just really want to take the risk on Michael Thomas and you have one of them on your roster, and that allows you to pivot there because that game's on Sunday Night Football. Tight end Jared Cook, he scored 10 times in the last 12 games, which is great. He's kind of a touchdown or bust guy, as we saw last week, where he didn't do much other than that short touchdown. But I think we should expect more involvement this week as the Packers do have two solid outside cornerbacks to push work inside. And I think the Saints are going to look back at their game plan against the Raiders and be like, yeah, we should probably should have gotten Jared Cook more involved. Alvin Kamara, one of the top assets in fantasy football, and is now the de facto number one wide receiver for, or not wide receiver, but receiver for Drew Brees. 
the focal point in the red zone as well. AK-41 has four touchdowns in only two games this season after scoring only six times last year. He looks much healthier this year. It's like a night and day difference. Every week starter and total fantasy stud right there for Alvin Kamara. And the Saints' pass defense has struggled against the Raiders. And Aaron Rodgers is on fire. Making Aaron Rodgers, you know, moving on to the Packers' side, he is a top 12 quarterback play, even if Devontae Adams misses this game. I would I'd rather start Rodgers than Breeze in this game. And it looks like Adams is training toward not playing. And this is a Sunday night game, just like Michael Thomas. That means if you roster Adams, your pivots need to be backups on either this game or the Monday Night Football game. So maybe you have Emmanuel Sanders. Maybe you have Traquan Smith on your bench. More likely, it needs to be Alan Lazard and Marcus Valdez-Scantling. And to be honest, it's tough to say which one of those wide receivers I prefer. MVS is more of a deep threat. Uh, so higher variance there. Alan Lazard, more of a possession receiver and great run blocker. You don't get points for run blocking. Uh, I'd probably lean MVS if I had to choose because both can put up duds, but MVS seems to have a higher ceiling. He can get uh, over the top of the defense and get a deep play. And Alan Lazard just really hasn't shown the ability to do that. Both have dropped passes this season. That's been an issue for Green Bay. Rodgers' numbers would be even better if the Packers didn't lead the league in drops right now. But I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be comfortable really playing either if Adams suits up. But if not, and I'm assuming that neither Adams nor Michael Thomas will play, I could see them being flexible, I guess. It's not an ideal situation. But again, Sanders, Alan Lazard, Marcus Valdez-Scantling, and Traquan Smith, all four of the receivers in this game, really, I'm best, I just think they're best used as pivots away from Michael Thomas and Monte Adams if they happen not to play and you want to take the chance that they might. So... The main storyline in this game, of course, is the running backs from a fantasy perspective. And that's because there's two top five options in this game with Alvin Kamara and Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones has also scored four times this season, and he led the NFL in touchdowns last season with 19. So he has like, what, like 23 touchdowns like in his last 17 games? He missed one last season. I mean, that's just insane for Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones, great receiver out of the backfield, and his splits are just so, so much better without Devontae Adams in the lineup. So if Devontae doesn't play, you can expect even a better game from Aaron Jones. He's used more as a receiver when that happens, and he even gets more carries. And this is a, uh, a split that I noticed when I was game logging and, and, and talked about in my preseason pods. It was one of the reasons that I was off on Aaron Jones in redraft leaks in my draft guide because I thought that with Devontae Adams there, he would have worse games like he did last season. Like a lot of Aaron Jones' best games were when Adams was missing. But here we are again, Adam Jones, I mean, sorry, Devontae Adams already hurt last week and Aaron Jones went off and he looks like he's not going to suit up here. So Aaron Jones may go off again. The Saints haven't given up a 100-yard rusher in like 46 straight games or something like that, but Jones' big playability gives him the chance. And you want to start him no matter what anyway, even despite the tough matchup, just because he's such a great receiver out of the backfield and he's used so much in the red zone. He's got a nose for the end zone. Okay, moving on to Monday Night Football here. The Super Bowl champion, Kansas City Chiefs, they travel to Baltimore to face another Super Bowl favorite. And actually, my preseason AFC pick to go to the Super Bowl, and that's the Baltimore Ravens. And Vegas actually favors Baltimore in this game over the defending champion Chiefs by 3.5 points. And when I first saw that line, my immediate instinct was to say, okay, I'm definitely taking the Chiefs to cover in this game. Like, this seems like a 50-50 game. Home field is less important with no fans. So I can take, you know, the reigning champs and get 3.5 points. I mean, that's just a steal right there. But then I started writing up my notes for this matchup and just kind of analyzing the game from a fantasy perspective. And the more I did that, the less that I liked Kansas City here. I think the Chiefs could struggle to move the ball similar to the way they did against the Chargers for the first three quarters of last game. I know Mahomes ended up having a pretty good fantasy day, but if you watched that game last week, it was, it was pretty ugly at first. And the Ravens just present a very difficult matchup. They are very hard to run against with their new and improved defensive line. And their secondary is just so freaking good. Their cornerbacks are just incredible. They even lost one of their three cornerbacks. I mean, they're starting three corner, their nickel cornerback, Tavon Young, for the season. And they still have three great cornerbacks. And they're just so physical. I think that they're going to give Chiefs receivers, maybe even Tyree Kill, problems. And they're, they're just really deep at the position. And I don't know. I could just not really see this being the shootout that everybody really expects when you see Chiefs and Ravens. So now you're still starting Patrick Mahomes. Don't get crazy here. 
Don't hear what I'm not saying. But I do, I do think the expectations need to be tempered as the matchup is as tough as it gets. I mean, look at the Ravens' first two games. They made Baker Mayfield look like a total fool, which isn't, you know, that hard to do, I guess. Other teams have done that. But Mayfield looked very competent against the Bengals, and that's like a night and day difference. But then look at this week two, Deshaun Watson. I mean, they just made him look like, I mean, they totally embarrassed Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson could do nothing against this Ravens secondary. I know Will Fuller had the injury, but when Fuller was in there, he was shut down. So, yeah, I mean, this is a tough spot for Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill, one of the toughest matchups that a wide receiver can face. That Baltimore secondary had shut down Odell Beckham in week one, and then they gave a goose egg to Will Fuller in week two, even with the injury. Um, I, I think that Tyreek Hill is an every-week start because it only takes one big play, and we saw that in full force and effect last week where Tyreek Hill was pretty much a race for the first three quarters. He had some drops. It was ugly. He wasn't The Chargers were getting in his head, but then it only took one big play for him to hit, and he did in a major way with that amazing 55-yard throw and catch from Mahomes to Tyreek Hill, one of the best plays of the season. Sammy Watkins supposed to play this week. You know, I would call him questionable at minimum with a big hit, possible concussion there. I wouldn't be surprised if he sits out of this game. That would put Cole Hardman possibly as a starter as the slot receiver there. He would probably split time with Demarcus Robinson. Splitting snaps, so you can't really be starting either. Maybe McCall Hardman, McCall Hardman is worth a stash once again now that maybe he has a big showing with Sammy Watkins sidelined if he misses this game with a concussion. But mainly this means Travis Kelsey, right? Like the number one tight end in fantasy football, you're definitely starting him. That's no news. But but the Ravens' stingy cornerback situation, this could be another game where Kelsey is featured. He saw that 14 targets last week in a similar situation where the Chargers just have two great cornerbacks. The Ravens do as well, so it forces more work inside. So good stuff for Travis Kelsey there. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, the Fresh Prince. Looked at my kingdom, I was finally there to sit on my throne as the Prince of L.A. He had opposite results in weeks one and two. In week one, he was a dominant rusher with no receiving work added. In week two, he was a phenomenal pass catcher. Eight targets last week, six catches, 32 receiving yards. He also had a 30-yard catch called back by penalty in that game, but he did little on the ground. And it's only a matter of time before this kid really puts it all together. Will it be this week? Probably not against the Ravens, as I talked about earlier. But he is an every-week start because of this offense, because of his receiving ability. And that just kind of makes, that kind of stuff makes him matchup proof, especially with backup running back Darrell Williams kind of nursing an ankle injury right now. CEH is basically a... He's got a stranglehold over this backfield. He's only giving up change of pace duties to Darwin Thompson and Williams if he's even active. Um, so for the Ravens, I love the Ravens passing game here. Because unlike the Texans, who the Ravens just rolled over with their running game and defense, they didn't even need the passing game. The Chiefs will be forcing them to throw. And the Ravens have not played one offensive snap so far this season where they've been trailing. And we saw what that can do, that negative, that unfavorable game flow for Hollywood Brown, for Mark Andrews. We saw that what that could do against the Texans. They just weren't needed, so they weren't used. And Hollywood Brown, Mark Andrews, very efficient players. They're always great when they are used, but the Ravens are just so good, sometimes they just don't need them. And that's just a shame, but the Chiefs will force this team to throw again, and the Chiefs linebackers and cornerbacks are very weak, bottom tier. So fire up Lamar Jackson, obviously, but also fire up Mark Andrews, fire up Hollywood Brown with confidence. I hope this is the blow-up Hollywood Brown week that I've been waiting for. I'm not as bullish about the Ravens running game. It may be effective in real life, but it's not as high quality in fantasy football, and that's essentially because it's a timeshare between three different running backs. The leader, Mark Ingram, but he's only playing like 39% of the snaps. And Ingram seemed like he had a great game last week, when he had like a 30-yard rushing touchdown, he was the kind of seemed like the lead back for fantasy purposes last week. But he actually still finishes RB19 on the week. Not great. So not the same Ingram as we saw last year when there was less competition for touches. And Gus Edwards actually led the team in carries last week. That's a fun fact there. And I, I realize given the game flow, given that the Ravens were up, maybe they put Edwards in as a closer. But still, not good for Mark Ingram. And it's just hard to tell which running back is going to find the end zone or is is more likely to, at least, out of Ingram and, and J.K. Dobbins. Dobbins didn't even receive a first-half touch last week. So if I had to guess, it's likely going to be Ingram here. But I, I'm just not starting any of these Ravens running backs until we get more clarity. And that's despite the Chiefs not being that good against running backs. Uh, you know, if none get hurt, 
you know, it's possible that we just don't get that clarity. So uh, J.K. Dalvin's definitely a stash. Don't be cutting him based on these words here. But I'm also just not starting him in this game either. But I think he's supremely talented. He's probably the most talented runner on this Ravens team. And eventually, I think the pendulum will swing more in the favor of J.K. Dalvin's. But it looks to me like the Ravens really do want to keep all these running backs fresh, probably for the playoffs. And they do want a running back by committee. You know, some coaches just say that. Because like when they know they have a clear runner, some coaches just say that to either keep the running backs fresh or you know, to make sure that the running back who's the most talented kind of earns his role and just kind of gives them no reason not to play them or kind of forces their hand at playing them. Like they're open. They say that they want a running back by committee, but they're open to one running back becoming the focal point and the star there as long as they play well enough. In this running back backfield, I don't know. It just looks like as long as Ingram's healthy – as long as Gus Edwards is healthy, like they're going to have roles there. And it looks like the Ravens really are serious about utilizing all three backs. So we will see if J.K. Dobbins in due time can take over this backfield. But right now, we just can't trust it. So I'm not starting really any of these running backs in week three. All right. So I will do matchups on Saturday, the rest of the matchups, the rest of the Sunday matchups that is. So tune into that. My matchup columns or I guess they're not columns. I don't know why I call them columns. I guess I used to write and stuff. But my matchup podcast, the preview podcast, have been very, very accurate in weeks one and two with the alone exception of that Thursday night football game in week two between the Browns and the Bengals where I just totally botched that game and gave horrific fantasy advice. But uh, other than that blimp in the radar, the matchup previews for weeks one and two, especially the Sunday previews, have been very, very accurate. So you'll want to tune in for that to help with your start and sick questions. And you can always hit me up at Fantasy Law Guy on social media. And of course, I'm also on Facebook. Nick Carisco is my name. But mainly the website, fantasylawguy.com. There's a section where you can ask your fantasy football questions. You can submit them, and I will answer them specifically on the show. And if you ask them about start-sit questions, when I go over that player in each matchup, I will talk specifically about your situation, and I'll answer your questions specifically. So hit me up there at fantasylawguy or on fantasylawguy.com. You can submit your question there. But stay tuned for my matchup preview tomorrow for Sunday's games. All right, that'll conclude today's episode. Please subscribe. Please give me a favorable rating. Write a great review if you really enjoy listening to this podcast. If you're a regular listener, there's really no reason that you shouldn't be helping support a local podcast, and I really do appreciate that. Really do appreciate you if you do take the time to write a review or to subscribe or to give a favorable rating. The reviews have just been great so far. I don't have a lot of them, but the ones that I have received have just been awesome, so I really appreciate all of you for listening and for writing the reviews. So thank you so much for listening. Everyone, see ya.